listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Hey, good morning, guys. So glad you're here. Thanks for being a part of the family this morning. Um, uh, I'm a little tired this morning. Um, I've spent uh, a good part of the week leading worship for uh, Arrowhead Christian Academy Upper School um, uh, retreat, fall retreat, and uh, it was an incredible time, but I discovered a couple things. Is one, I'm old, and two, somehow Brian is still young. Like, I don't know, I don't know how that works, but... Um, but it was such a blast, and the, and the kids were so uh, responsive in our worship times, and we just had such a good time. But when you come out of something like that where it's just like the power of the Holy Spirit is moving, and then you go back home, and you have to do laundry, and it's like... You know, you have to get the kids moving and, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's a, there's a bit of a reality, you know, check that maybe that was a, like a mountaintop experience. And then now we're, we're back to the day to day. But I was, I was uh, home yesterday kind of working on my message a little bit and watching football and um, go, go Buckeyes, Ohio State. Woo. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> Anyways, I'm from Ohio, if you don't know. That's right. That's right. Charmaine. Charmaine. I know when I hear the shaker, I got a I got an Ohio person in the house. So um, but I was I was home watching my boys and it amazes me. It, it, it just it never ceases to amaze me the lengths my children will go to not to do the full extent of what I ask them to do. Anybody familiar with that? Right? Yeah. Like, not, like, they'll do part of what I ask them to do most of the time, right? They won't just, like, completely ignore me, but they will almost never do the full extent of what I ask them to do. They're always looking for that line. What is the bare minimum that I can do that I won't get in trouble, but I won't have to do all the work, right? They're always looking for that line. Isn't that true, Kim? Yes, so yesterday I'm at home and uh, I asked one of my uh, uh, oldest son, Dylan's jobs is to take out the recycling and his brother's job is the trash. So we split that up, you know, evenly or whatever. So, um, so I'm like, Dylan, there's recycling outside in the, in the, we have this little trash can on our patio that we put recycling in and there's, there's recycling in about three different places in our house because... I've been gone, and Kim's been in maintenance mode and stuff like that, and so, so, uh, so I say, Dylan, hey, there's three places. Uh, one of them's, you know, there's some boxes on the table that need to go to recycling or whatever, and, and uh, so he goes, okay, Dad, and so he, like, walks around, takes out the recycling, and leaves one of the specific places that I asked him to, to take out. And I'm like, hey, Dylan, wh- why didn't you do that? And he's like, oh, well, uh, I looked on that table over there, not that table. So I didn't see any recycling on that table. So I, I did my part, right? And uh, I'm just like, it amazes me. Like uh, my other son, Owen, he has like a display of uh, Lego creations in his room. He's got like, these shelves and stuff like that. But the rest of 
his room looks like he's been robbed, <laughs> basically. Like, there's just stuff everywhere. Like, there's about 14 water bottles, you know, there's like, um, you know, old yogurt cups, socks everywhere hanging from the ceiling, like, and, and, and uh, he loves, he loves to decorate too. So he like, he, he's, he's a Christmas elf like me. Like I love Christmas and he loves Christmas. And so he's got like Christmas lights strung up in his room and they have like socks hanging off of them and shirts and stuff. And, and uh, so I was like, oh, and clean your room. Okay, okay. So basically clean his room means like pick up the bare minimum stuff on the floor and then be done, right? And so they're always looking for this line like that, uh, they, that they don't have to do the full extent of what I asked them to do. But I, but I can't really blame them because I was that way too I, when I was a kid. I remember, well, not just when I was a kid, but, but if I'm being honest. But uh, um, I remember, I have this faint memory of one time, one of my jobs as a kid was uh, vacuuming the downstairs in our townhouse. And uh, I have this faint memory of getting out the vacuum and running it over the carpet without plugging it in so there were like wheel marks on the carpet and then putting it back, but not, not actually plugging it in. Like, that's just ridiculous, right? Like, I'm like, oh. But I, I, I mean, it didn't stop when I was a kid. I worked at the Gap for like two weeks. And... Um, and uh, re I've discovered retail was not for me, but um, but yeah. So like I, I, I basically my job was to greet people as they came in and fold clothes that people had picked up and looked at and said nope, you know whatever. And so I was I, I was my job to fold all the clothes and stuff like that. And and I just remember being like uh, this one kind of looks okay if I just stuff it down under here. And you know like I was always looking for the bare minimum amount of work because I just didn't care about that job. I remember they, they pulled us into uh, a meeting and they talked about how we had to upsell every customer and like, and um, you know, if they tried on a pair of jeans, make sure you offer them a shirt to like, oh, this would look really good with those jeans or whatever. And, and I was just like, yeah, that's not me. I can't do that. Sorry. So then I, then I went on my lunch break and never came back. But um, true story. Uh, but I was l always looking for the bare minimum, especially in the jobs that I didn't care about. I was looking for the bare minimum of what was acceptable. Not, not even really what was acceptable in that job. But, but uh, I was always, you know, my boys are, I have a habit of doing that. I'm sure some of us in here can relate. Anybody relate to those stories, right? I'm sure somewhere along the way you, you had one. But when I began to worship lead and, and got my first church job, all of a sudden I had like this job that I really cared about that I like would pour myself into just everything I had, night after night, rehearsing songs, prayer meetings, you know, worship nights. Um, you know, there, for a while, for our first few years of marriage, Kim and I had something ministry-related almost every night. And I'm not saying that's healthy or anything, but, but, um, but it was like all of a sudden I wanted to go like above and beyond. I wanted to uh, do what I 
was doing to the best of my ability. I wanted to do it extravagantly because I loved it extravagantly. Um, Last week, Professor Ricardo kicked off a new series called Pursuit. And uh, the concept of this series is is surrounding uh, something that we quite often that is quite often a mystery to us, which is God's will. Now, I wanted to name the series, Hello, My Name is Will. Nice to meet you, but Ricardo wouldn't let me. Um, uh, But if you're a believer, I can pretty much say that at some point, you have struggled with God's will for your life. there's, There's probably been a struggle somewhere along the way, and maybe it was whether to take a job or not, or who to marry, or maybe it's whether should I stay married, like um, maybe it's uh, what school to attend, or where, or should I move out of state, Um, things, these things deeply matter to us, and most of the time, we as believers want to honor God in these decisions, right, and, uh, but sometimes God is just silent on the matter, and we struggle with that, and and it's in those times when God uh, is silent on the matter that we need to rely on our relationship with God and what we know to be true about God's character, right? And I believe that sometimes we don't get an answer to these specific life decisions because God has already given us the answer on a more broad level, right? And there are places in the Bible where God gives some pretty direct instructions, some pretty specific instructions. And in our pursuit of growing in relationship with God and stewarding the growth of the gospel in us, right, we can rely on these explicit instructions to guide us when God's for when God's will for us in a specific circumstance may be implicit rather than explicit. And uh, Ricardo gave an overview of these explicit instructions last week, and they're, they're this. Um, love the Lord your God with everything, and love others the way Jesus loved you. Strive to be holy in the power of his spirit. Uh, share the good news and use your gifts to bless others. Uh, None of these are easy, and we will, I wanna underline this and and like highlight it, uh, we will fail if we try to do these things on our own. We will fail. Without the Holy Spirit empowering these things, without the Holy Spirit moving in us, without the gospel growing in us, we will fail at these things if we do the, try to do these things in our own power. Uh, not, uh, it's only when Jesus allows his spirit to work through us that we will begin to succeed in these. And, and today we're gonna focus on the first one of those explicit pieces of God's will. And uh, it's uh, love the Lord your God with everything and love others the way Jesus loved you. Uh, You may be thinking, yeah, yeah, the Bible talks about that all the time. I've got that down. We can move on to the next one. It's way more complicated. You know, um, like 
this is, this is pretty basic stuff. Like, I've been in church for a long time, Jason. I've heard lots of messages on God's love, right? And loving God and loving others. But, uh, like, if you're feeling dismissive about this, I would encourage you, this is like a crucial part of God's instruction to us. And I would challenge you to, as we talk, reevaluate your actions in loving God and loving others. Like as we talk, just take stock. Because the truth is if we don't get this one right, the others don't even matter. This is, our, our true genuine love for God and our love for other people is the foundation that everything else on the list is built upon. And it's in this foundation so, so much of God's will for our day-to-day lives can be discerned. Uh, we will only begin, we will only be able to discern the will of God when we begin to take the words of Jesus seriously. I'm going to say that again because I really want you to hear that. We will only be able to discern the will of God when we begin to take the words of Jesus seriously. Sometimes in the Bible, we're looking for, um, you know, coded secret messages, hidden meanings in the instructions that were being given. And, and that's true. Sometimes the meanings of what is being said is just below the surface or a reference to a cultural context. Uh, but on many occasions, the word is direct and gives clear instructions, especially when Jesus speaks. And he, he says things like, come to me, all who are weary right? He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He says things like, go therefore and make disciples of some nations. No, not some nations, all nations, right? All nations. He says things like, do this in remembrance of me, right? There, Jesus, he, lots of times what he says is very clear, and yet sometimes we look for like the coded message on the inside, like what is he really saying, right? And um, they're pretty straightforward instructions from Jesus, and uh, sometimes we we want them to be these coded messages that don't really mean what they say at face value. And, and because if they mean what they say, that would mean we actually have to get serious about doing it. Right? Got quiet, sorry. <laughs> and uh, when it comes to areas of our lives where God's will may be implicit, we have to take a look we have to look to the explicit instructions given to us and do them and obey them, right? And, and that's, why we, that's why we will only be able to discern the will of God when we begin to take the words of Jesus seriously. And so let's, let's, take, let's see what Jesus has to say about loving God and loving other people. In Luke chapter 10, 
Jesus finds himself being questioned by a lawyer. Yes, they even had lawyers back in the Bible. Um, I don't think their suits were quite as good, but, um, but yes, uh, Jesus finds himself being questioned by a lawyer. And this lawyer would have been an expert on the Jewish Old Testament laws, right? Uh, which Jesus had some radical views on. And this means uh, this man's motive was less than pure. We, we begin at verse 25, Luke 10, verse 25. It'll be on the screen here if, if you don't have your Bible with you. And, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, him being Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So this lawyer, let's pause right there for a second. This lawyer stands up in front of everyone and asks Jesus, how to enter the kingdom of God. That's, that's what he means. And, uh, and as he tends to do, Jesus responds to his question with another question, right? That, that's, that's just Jesus for you. And, uh, and Jesus says, you're a lawyer, right? You're an expert on the law, right? You, you tell me, what does the law say? What does the law say? And the lawyer responds with a two-part answer. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer is referring to the Old Testament verse in Deuteronomy uh, 6.5. So this is Old Testament. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. In other words, with everything you have, love God, right? Love God with everything. No part of what makes up a person is left out in that statement. Heart, soul, strength, mind. In other words, from your toes to your nose, love God with everything, right? And... Uh, to love God means having faith in him and delighting in him above all, above all. And that doesn't mean you don't love anything else, right? It means that you love God more than you love anything else, right? And, 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 and through this act of loving God with everything, we naturally begin to love the things that God loves, right? Which leads us to the second part of the lawyer's statement, and uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, the lawyer makes, is making a reference to an Old Testament verse because remember, he would be an expert in the Jewish law in the Old Testament. And this, is, uh, this verse is Leviticus 19.18. I know you guys are all studied up on Leviticus and have it memorized and stuff, but I'm going to read it anyways. Um, you shall not take vengeance 
or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Sounds easy, right? Sounds easy. Love God with everything and love people as much as you love yourself. At this point, the lawyer is feeling pretty good about himself because he's, he's proved his knowledge, right? He's proved he, he, he can hang with the, the, the Jewish laws. But Jesus' response to the lawyer is fascinating to me. It's fascinating. In, in, in verse 28, Jesus says, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Did you catch what Jesus did there? Did you catch that? Jesus said, you have answered correctly. You, you know your stuff, but entering to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to do it, not just know it, right? And the knowledge of the lawyer isn't enough. He has to do it. He has to live it. And, and that's the exact moment, I believe, where most of us get stuck. See, we know what to say. Lots of us know the facts. We know the laws. Like, I know I'm only supposed to drive a certain speed because there's a speed limit, but I don't do it a lot of the time, right? See, knowledge and, and, and obeying and doing are two different things. Right? And this is the exact moment where most of us get stuck, this link between knowing and doing, right? Uh, taking the knowledge that we have gained and moving it into action, loving people as much as we love ourselves is a lot easier said than done, right? That's a tall order. The lawyer must have picked up on the subtlety of what Jesus said because he tried to justify himself by asking another question. And uh, the Jesus, and Jesus, the Jesus, pff, he's a hipster now, um, the Jesus. And the Jesus answers this question by telling him a story. Uh, let's continue on with verse 29. So let's, let's, uh, let's pick it up on verse 29. But but he, the lawyer, des desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, uh, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day 
he took out two denarii, which is two days' wage. That's two, day, two days' wage. So think about what you make in two days if, if you um, have a job. Um, so he took out two denarii and, and gave to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. See, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? This is the question that lots of people in our culture are asking today. Who is my neighbor? Not, not the Mr. Rogers version, won't you be my neighbor, but who is my neighbor, right? Um, who do I have to care about, right? Who is the bare minimum of people that I have to care about and love, right? Um, who is my neighbor? Who is it that God wills me to love like I love myself and as Jesus has loved me, right? My neighbor, right? Those are the people that live on both sides of me, right? Right? Because it certainly couldn't be everyone because that would be way too hard, right? That would be way too hard. Well, let's take a closer look at this story that Jesus tells. A man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, which tells us it was a Jewish man. Uh, the people Jesus was telling this story to would have known the exact route that Jesus was speaking of. It was, it was a treacherous road, and uh, through the course of about 18 miles, it descended about 3,200 feet. So it was rocky, treacherous, hard road. And not only was it steep, but it was chock full of places to hide, right? So it was perfect. It was like a prime place for thieves to work, right? And um, so this Jewish man uh, was beaten and robbed and left for dead by someone on this road. And... Uh, a priest is going down the same path, sees the man, goes to the other side of the road and walks on by. This is, a, this is a priest we're talking about here. Not just like a normal Jewish person. Uh, this, this priest would have been of the lineage of Aaron from the Old Testament. This priest would have had a direct mandate with, with extra emphasis from God to help those who were hurt. And the second person to pass by is a Levite. And if you don't know what a Levite is, uh, a Levite was, was just like an assistant to a priest. And they did the work of what we would know now as like elders and deacons and custodians and, and musicians and movers and repairmen. Like they're like kind of the jack of all trade at the church, right? And, and uh, so again, the Levite 
worked in the temple. They were supported by Israel's tithe. He worked in the temple with the priests and had a special emphasis on their calling to perform good deeds and help those who were in need. Israel's worship in the temple would not have been possible without the Levite and the priest, right? But in Jesus' parable, the two people who were by all accounts mandated to help this Jewish man ignored him and kept on walking. Like the person that was like supposed to be holy just kept on walking. The person that had the mandate, the person that should have helped, didn't. Jesus continues on in verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sat him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus tells of this person having compassion on the Jewish traveler, so much so that he bound up his wounds, probably with pieces of cloth from his own clothing, right? He poured wine as disinfectant on and olive oil to soothe his wounds, right? This person gave up his own animal that he was riding, which, mean, which meant he had to walk, right? We already talked about how difficult and treacherous the path was. He put the traveler up in an inn and took care of his every need, basically until he was well again, until he was 100%. Like, this is staggering compassion, Staggering, even by our standards today, right? But the thing that would have jumped out to every listener as Jesus told this parable was the word Samaritan. That's the word that would have made everybody's jaws drop that was listening. Uh, to a Jewish person, Samaritans were dogs, half-breeds, mudbloods. Jewish men would travel miles, miles out of their way so they would have no chance at encountering a Samaritan person. Jewish people hated Samaritans, and yet it was a Samaritan that Jesus used in this parable to show compassion on the Jewish man, right? Did you notice that in verse 37 when Jesus asks the lawyer who proves to be a neighbor to the Jewish traveler that was robbed? He said, uh, the one who showed compassion, showed him mercy. He couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan, right? Instead, he said, uh, the last one, Right? And Jesus tells this Jewish lawyer, go and do like the Samaritan in the story. That would have been 
unthinkable to the lawyer to think of a Samaritan as his neighbor, as someone he should emulate. That would have been completely out of his uh box for sure. He, he probably would rather die than be a neighbor to a person he considered like a dog, right? But, the, but this is the root of the question I hear so many people inside and outside of the church asking in our culture today, who is my neighbor? Who am I required to care about? What is the bare minimum that qualifies a person that I need to care about? That's really what it comes down to. When I read that parable, I'm just going to be vulnerable with you guys. Um, When I read that parable about the priest and the Levite walking by the traveler in need, I can't help but think about how many times my eyes have shifted when seeing a homeless person on the street. And I kept walking as if I didn't see him. How many times do we justify not loving someone as Jesus commanded us to? By asking the specifics who is my neighbor? Where is the line that makes them my neighbor? Where is the qualifying line? Right? This parable that Jesus told crossed all kinds of racial, cultural, economical, and spiritual divides. This parable sets the example of loving others as you love yourself and as Jesus loved us. It says this over and over again in the Bible, throughout the whole Bible, Matthew 22, 36 through 40, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. John 15, 12. This is my commandment. You love one another as I have loved you. That's Jesus speaking, right? That one even takes it up a notch. Not even love them as you love yourself, but love them as I have loved you. That's sacrificial love, right? If something is repeated almost word for word in the Bible this many times, we should probably sit up and pay attention. Do you find yourself on the on the like walking the streets or in a store or in a neighborhood? Who am I required to love? Is it the people on both sides of me that are my neighbor? 
Who am I required to love? Do I have to love the people in my life who are addicted? Do I have to love the people who drink and smoke and swear in my life? Good thing, because I, I love my wife and she... <laughs> Just kidding, she doesn't smoke. Do I have to love immigrants and refugees from other cultures that have lost their home? Do I have to love the homeless? Do I have to love people of other religions like Muslims? Do I have to care about Muslims? Do I? Do I have to love people in the LGBTQ community? Do I have to love a person who is in obvious sin? Yes! Love doesn't mean agree. I want to clarify that. Love does not mean agree. Like, for instance, Ricardo loves the Clippers. We disagree on that, but I still love him, right? I love him. We disagree, but I love him, right? Cleveland Cavs all the way. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure that the Jewish traveler and the Samaritan, had they gotten into a conversation, they would not have agreed on anything. And I think it's ironic that Jesus chose the Jewish man to be the person who was hurt and robbed because he would have hated the Samaritan. But it's the one who was hated that showed compassion. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't that set an example for Christ followers? Yes. Because being a Christ for people on the outside, being a Christ follower is really confusing. Because you see people like the Westboro Baptist people claiming to be Christians when they are so far from Jesus. Anyways. If we were ever going to be able to discern God's will for our lives, we have got to take seriously the words of Jesus. So as the worship team comes, what I read from all of this, all of these parables, these parables, these different scriptures that we went over today, uh, what I read from this is God's will for us begins, begins with loving him with every fiber of our being. With 
everything we have within us and loving our neighbor as ourself and as Jesus loved us. Sacrificial love. Which means we erring not on the side of judgment, but on the side of love and compassion. And not just the bare minimum love, right? Not just finding the love where you step just a little bit over and you're like, okay, I'm good. But an extravagant love, the kind of love that pays for a hurt person to stay in an inn until they are a thousand percent well. I want to pray right now, uh, but I encourage you, like I did in the beginning, review, reevaluate your actions of love. I want to say just this also is that, you know, when you think about loving every person that you come in contact with, that can be, that can be a little overwhelming. So I would encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit's leading. And if you haven't ever done that before, when you see someone you're like in need, uh, just ask, just silently or maybe just real quiet, just ask, Lord, do you want me to help this person? And maybe just err on the side of doing it if you feel the pull. Take a risk. Risk it all in love and compassion. So Father God, we come before you now and we ask you to convict our hearts, Lord. We ask you to bring to the surface the things that are unseen Maybe prejudices that we have, Lord. Maybe places, divides that we feel hesitant to cross, Lord. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would send your Holy Spirit to guide and direct us. And that as we strive to love our neighbor, the other people in our lives, the people we come in contact with as ourself and as Jesus loved us, Father. I pray, God, that, that you would burn inside our hearts like a fire and that you would guide and direct our every word and step. Jesus, we love you. We're thankful for your word that is a light to our feet. In Jesus' name I pray. And as the ushers come forward, we'll pray over our tithes and offering. Father God, we bring before you now what is already yours. 
Lord, everything we have is a gift from you and the giver is good. So Father, we give back to you now what is already yours. We ask you to build your kingdom with it. May, it, may you build your kingdom here in Redlands and in Ukaipa in Highland, San Bernardino, Moreno Valley, Beaumont, Banning, Calamesa, Lord. Build your kingdom, Lord. Here and all over the world. Spread the name of Jesus. We give back to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. I also want to open up this time for uh, anyone who would like to receive prayer. Uh, it can be about anything. If you would like, if you need to pray with someone, um, would you just come and sit on this front row here, and, and uh, someone will come pray with you. podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.